Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hodgeberg, and this is episode number 486. I'm just back from my first ever cruise on Liberty of the Seas, and I wanted to talk about Liberty and what it offers and what it's like to go on a ship that hasn't been amplified yet. Here we go. I'm often asked a couple of questions that I probably get like asked all the time. I guess we'd consider those frequently asked questions, right? And one of them is definitely which Royal Caribbean cruise ships have I not been on or have I been on all the ships? And the answer is no, I've not been on all the ships yet. There are still a few ships out there that I've not been on. And Liberty of the Seas was definitely one of them. I had not been on Liberty ever. I think it's just because Liberty had just been in different markets than I was cruising. It was most recently in the Galveston cruise market. And then before that, it was in places like New Orleans and it would do summers in New York. And it just never worked for me to go there. I always ended up on our sister vessels, of course, Freedom and Independence. But this year, I got a chance to finally go on Liberty of the Seas. And of course, this was a three-night cruise out of Fort Lauderdale, Fort Everglades. And on this particular cruise, I wanted to go on here because, well, I wanted to see this particular ship. Not only is it a notch on my belt, so to speak, but I also wanted to experience Liberty because it's one of those ships that didn't get an amplification when it should have due to, of course, the pandemic. number of Royal Caribbean cruise ships were scheduled to have the Royal Amplification process occur, but those were canceled because, of course, Royal Caribbean needed to save money. This includes Liberty of the Seas, Adventure of the Seas, and Allure of the Seas. And as a result, I feel like there is this sense that these ships are somewhat not up to par or could be a disappointment or should you still sail on them? I get all kinds of questions related to that. So I wanted to see for myself what it would be like to go on Liberty and how does it compare because I've been on a number of ships that have been amplified like Navigator and Mariner of the Seas and Freedom of the Seas and Independence of the Seas. And I absolutely love those ships and I love what Royal Caribbean has done with the amplification process. So I really wanted to get a sense of what is it like on Liberty and how does it stack up against those other ships? Now, before we even get into that, I also wanted to talk about the fact that I stayed in an inside cabin for this particular sailing and talk about that whole thing because you know what? We haven't really talked on the podcast often enough about inside cabins versus balconies versus suites and all of that. On this particular cruise, I should mention that actually the entire Royal Caribbean blog staff was on board. This was our staff retreat, and I'm using those in air quotes. It was an opportunity to kind of see each other and cruise together, and we all stayed in different kind of cabins, and I took the inside cabin because I wanted to see what it was like in here. I've certainly stayed in inside cabins before, but I wanted to compare it because a lot of people always ask about, you know, is it worth it to get a balcony or a suite for that matter, especially on a three-night cruise, right? Is it worthwhile? I had an inside cabin on deck nine, and it was fine for what it was. You know, when it comes to inside cabins, number one, the reason you're booking an inside cabin almost certainly is going to be for the price. I mean, there are other benefits to an inside cabin, like it's very dark in there, so you can sleep very well, you know, no natural light waking you up in the morning. But let's face facts. Everybody's booking an inside cabin for one reason, one reason only. It's the cheapest cabin most often on a cruise. And certainly that was the case here. I think if I ended up paying like, you know, for solo rate, about 400 and some of the dollars, a little less than $500 for the three-night cruise. And the argument that's always be made is it's cheap, and how much time will you really spend in the room? Certainly, when I was on Liberty, the only times I was in my cabin was to change, shower, and sleep. I think on the first day of the cruise, I maybe spent a little bit of time in here working on some blog stuff. I took my laptop out and started working, and then I was like, wait a minute, why am I doing this here? Why don't I go up to the pool deck and do it over there? And suffice to say, I did not spend that much time in there. So you know, when you're booking a cheap room or any cabin for that matter, you have to think to yourself, how much time will you spend in there? And if it is really just sleeping, showering, and changing, well, then you're, you know, why, why invest money on a 
bigger cabin you're not going to take advantage of. The counter argument, of course, that is, well, if you have a nicer cabin, you'll spend more time in there, etc. But anyway, I certainly had no issues with the amount of time there. I gravitated towards other areas of the ship. And for one person, if you're cruising solo, an inside cabin is plenty of space. It's a small room, don't get me wrong. But for one person, plenty of space to get around and maneuver and do all that. Two people, I think there's still plenty of space. I mean, obviously, you're going to have to get around each other. The most common scenario in which I think an inside cabin runs into a problem, if you will, with space is usually around getting ready for stuff, like getting ready for dinner. When I've shared a cabin with my wife, you know, she'll be doing her hair and she'll be probably be sitting at the desk, at the at the counter, there's a right in front of the mirror. She'll be doing her hair over there, and that basically blocks up the walking space between the bathroom and where the bed is. Not the biggest deal in the world, but that is a consideration, right? And if you got up to three or four people in an inside cabinet, which some can, the one I was sailing in would not have been suitable for that. But there are inside cabins that can handle three or four passengers. Obviously, personal space will be at a premium, not to mention the fact you're sharing one bathroom. All that being said, I think when it comes to an inside cabin, what you're looking at is, of course, the price and the living space. But I'm very much a believer in if you book a nicer cabin, if you book a balcony, you book a suite, if you're getting that kind of a room, I think you're going to end up spending more time there because you have that cabin and you know it's much more inviting and alluring to be able to be there rather than an inside room in which in the morning I'd get up, get dressed, brush my teeth, do all that stuff, grab my laptop and head up to the pool deck and be able to enjoy time up there. You know, there, there's something to be said about that. In terms of the cabin itself, you know, one of the knocks on Liberty and, and I think other ships as well, you know, is that it's an older design in terms of the cabin and that, you know, how does it hold up? Certainly, you know, it's not the newest looking cabin in the fleet by any means. It's pretty much your standard Royal Caribbean cruise ship cabin with a standard bathroom. And like all ships in the fleet, you can find certainly, you know, a Nick here, something missing there, but it was all functional. There was no functional problems. It all worked well enough, and it certainly was fine for what I wanted. You have to remember, with the Royal Amplification Program, Royal Caribbean rarely, if ever, updated the cabins. They would always focus on public areas of the ship. They don't generally update cabins. Now, they would in some cases. I remember on Mariner, I think this was the case. They might have updated the soft goods, you know, the mattresses or the sheets or the duvets and whatnot, but... They're not redoing the walls. They're not redoing the bathroom. Still the same old thing there. So I wouldn't look at that as, oh, if you're going on an Amplified ship, it's gonna your, your inside cabin is going to look significantly different. I don't think it really does. And certainly for my sailing, it was fine for what it was. Again, you know, would you have wanted to go maybe on a different room there? Who knows? I would say point out there are actually cabins on Liberty that have been updated in the sense that they're actually new cabins. When Royal Caribbean started adding some new cabins to, I believe it's deck 12, like in the front of the ship, those rooms are actually new. And they were added, I think, back in like 2016, 2018, something like that. And those cabins would have an updated look to them. And I know one of our staff members stayed in there and said that it was a nice change. But other than that, I wouldn't look at this from an amplified versus non-amplified ship standpoint, the cabin being much different there. But in terms of the ship itself, you know, obviously it lacked a couple of things that I certainly missed. And I compared... Liberty primarily to Mariner of the Seas. I think it's one of the best amplifications that were out there. And I certainly missed having places like Playmakers or the Bamboo Room and having a Starbucks location on there, right? Not essentials. I wouldn't say that you can't have a good time on them, but it was noticeable. I missed having those kind of places on Liberty of the Seas. And even compared to Independence of the Seas, which has very similar venues to Mariner, I kind of came away with the same idea. I didn't 
like hate my cruise. I didn't not like it at all, but I certainly preferred having those venues there. But that isn't to say that I had a bad time either on Liberty. What I liked about Liberty of the Seas, first of all, it has the tidal wave water slide. Only ship in the fleet that has that. It still has a splash away bay. In fact, Liberty of the Seas, believe it or not, here's a little trivia for you, was the first Royal Caribbean cruise ship to have splash away bay. Prior to Harmony of the Seas being introduced and joining the fleet, they tested it out first on Liberty of the Seas. So she was the first one to have it. So kind of something that's nice to have there. By the way, Mariner doesn't have a splash away bay at all. So that's nice to have that feature on board the Liberty of the Seas. And what I also like about Liberty is, of course, you also have Chops. You have Giovanni's Table there. Some classic options. You know, some of my colleagues preferred maybe having James Italian, which you can find on Mariner of the Seas. But, you know, it was totally fine on here. We also got a chance to check out the new main dining room menu on Liberty. So this is a three-night cruise, so I only got a subset of the new menus. I really like the new menu a lot. I think there were maybe one or two things I really didn't like. The There was a, I think this is the vegan option. There was a stuffed eggplant, which sounded good, but the mint chutney was not up to my standard. I didn't like it at all, but I don't like mint at all, so that's just a math thing, I think. And there might have been one other dish that I was like, eh, not so much, but the Indian food that was on there was fantastic. Some of the classics, whether it was the minestrone soup or the French onion soup, or of course, some of the different dishes, the main entrees that we had there, all oh, the chicken parmesan. Oh, there were so many good dishes there. And I love the selection. It was welcome aboard night, Italian night for our formal night. And the last night of the cruise was Caribbean night. And I went, I said, well, Caribbean night, that doesn't sound appealing at all. But actually there was a lot of food that was there. Like French onion soup was on the Caribbean night menu. So you know what? You can't go wrong with those kinds of things. Suffice to say, number one, I didn't leave hungry. Number two, we were in and out almost every day, I think right around 90 minutes, probably sat down at six o'clock for a traditional dinner, and then we're out by about 7.20 something, maybe 7.30 at the latest. So it was very consistent, even on day one, came out well and everything worked, and the food was hot. I remember getting the French onion soup and being like, okay, I need to like wait a minute because this is too hot to eat. I, I like that. No lukewarm dishes. It really was, uh, I think, up to, up to par. And I'm hoping when we go on the Wonder of the Seas for spring break with my family, we're going to go to the main dining room and try out the all seven days there. But in the three nights I was there, I really liked the new menu changes. I like that we knew some new options. And I'll point out, by the way, about 75%, this is an estimate, I, don't know, I didn't actually count this out, but I'm going to guess 75% of the menu is the same, is the old menu. Whether there are items that were in the featured section of the old menu or classics, they were still there. So really, there wasn't a ton of like new options. It wasn't like Royal Caribbean took the new menu, the old menus, threw them out, and came up with all brand new options. There were still escargot available on day one. There was French onion soup, and there was spaghetti bolognese, and you know it just wasn't available every single night. But the bottom line was the majority of the menu were holdovers from the old menu, and Royal Caribbean basically may have dropped an item or two here in order to replace with other items. But my point is that if you were a fan of the old menu or you had certain favorites on there, those items still exist in many cases. So it's nice to have those options that are there. But let's go back to Liberty of the Seas and now talk about, you know, is Liberty of the Seas a bad choice or should you go on an amplified ship? And the way I look at it is certainly, listen, all things being equal, if I was to sit down and say, you know, uh, which cruise ship would I want to book a cruise on, having been on all the ships, I'm not going to take out of the equation like I haven't been on the ship, thus I want to try that kind of a ship, right? So, you know, would I prefer Mariner or Liberty? I'd prefer Mariner because I just generally, on a personal level, prefer Mariner of the Seas. But I didn't hate Liberty of the Seas. I certainly don't dislike it. I certainly would not not recommend it to anybody that's out there. Liberty is, I think, a great ship. The value of it is undeniable, especially with these three and four night cruises. It's really good. The pool deck is great. I love the fact that there's Saturday Night Fever, the Broadway musical on board that you can see. 
of course, have an ice skating show as well. And of course, there's not Mariner doesn't have a Broadway show on board, right? So that's kind of a nice little plus one there for for Liberty. And the fact that you'll probably pay maybe even less than Mariner of the Seas for Liberty of the Seas. One of the nice things about ships that are unamplified is that, you know, they do enjoy, generally speaking, lower pricing. And I'd also add, unlike Explorer or Allure of the Seas, which also didn't get amplified, Liberty does have water slides. She got them updated in, like, not an amplification. Before the amplification program, both Liberty and Adventure got water slides. And they were going to get further upgrades, which obviously never happened as part of the amplification program. But it still has water slides on board. There's still plenty to do, and that's what's great about it. It's a Freedom-class ship. You know, you're not going on a old clunker by any means. So I think what you have to do, and this is true of all Royal Caribbean cruise ships, whether we're talking about Liberty or an Enchantment or Oasis or Harmony or Navigator, is you have to be okay with what the ship offers versus what it doesn't offer and understand what it doesn't offer. The biggest mistake people do with cruise ships in terms of booking one is they don't understand what the ship doesn't offer on board get on board, and then are disappointed, oh, wait, this doesn't have this, or I was really hoping it was going to have that. There's no excuse for not knowing what the ship offers. There's plenty of YouTube tours out there. There's articles about it. There is, I mean, you have to, as a consumer, be aware, do your homework to figure out what it's what it has and what it doesn't have. And if you're probably you know, listening to this podcast, well, you are listening to this podcast, <laughs> obviously you can hear me, but if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are the type of person who knows enough to do these kinds of things. And I think when it comes to a ship like Liberty, don't assume anything, you know, make double check that it has things that are there, but don't look at it as a negative, certainly, when you're picking the ship. You know, on this particular itinerary, a three-night cruise, we were in port every single day, right? We have embarkation day, then we had Nassau, and then we had a perfect day at Coco Key. The nice thing about being port intensive is that you're not as reliant on the ship to provide you entertainment. Actually, I think it was kind of a detriment because you could only see Saturday Night Fever on Coco Key Day, which is the last night of the cruise. And in a lot of cases, the water slides were also only open in the afternoons when you were supposed to be in port. So again, you have limited time to try to get it all in. And I think there is enough to enjoy about this ship. And I often hear from folks who say, you know, Matt, Liberty is, or, or this is true of all ship, other ships as well, but oh, it's desperate need of, of TLC or an amplification. I think in a lot of cases, some people are placing a little too much emphasis on what an amplification could do to a ship. It's nice to have them. And I appreciate what Royal Caribbean has done with those amplifications. I'm a big fan of the amplifications Royal Caribbean has done. Don't get me wrong. I really like it. And as I said earlier, given the choice, I still probably prefer like Mariner of the Seas for a short cruise than maybe Liberty. But I don't think that I went off the ship thing. Oh God, the ship was terrible. Or I didn't really enjoy it. It still has that Royal Caribbean experience. I might even look at it as a classic Royal Caribbean cruise experience. A lot of people look at Allure in this way in the sense that because she didn't get amplified, you know, it's kind of that OG Oasis class feel to it. And there's, a, I think, some people who appreciate that. By the same token, you can say the same thing about Liberty of the Seas, and there's still plenty to do on board. I mean, I, I guess what I'm trying to say when it comes to, you know, the comment, oh, it's in desperate need of an amplification or work, I don't know what work you think it's going to get. I mean, it's going to get new venues, new some new restaurants, uh, maybe something on the pool deck, right? things of that nature, which are nice to have. And I appreciate that, but it's not like as an example, the cabins are going to be redone or I'm not even sure what, I mean, it's nice to have those upgrades, but I don't necessarily look at it as a negative as going on Liberty of the seas. So ultimately I'm going to circle back to something I've said, I think at least once or twice on this podcast, which is simply, you've got to understand what the ship offers and doesn't offer. And for me, I was totally fine with it, especially on a three night cruise. 
you know, I, I think it worked out really well. And for the price, by the way, it was fantastic. So really enjoyed Liberty of the Seas. Not sure when we'll have a chance to go back on her again, but one more Royal Caribbean cruise ship I was able to sail on. Hey, friends, time to answer your listener emails. This is a part of the episode where I answer emails you've sent me about Royal Caribbean. And of course, you can always email me, Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt, M-A-C-C at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. First email is from Steve. In episode 480, you mentioned you answered a question about missing Progresso and being replaced with an overnight Cosmel. Coincidentally, I'm booked on the same cruise. Further, I just got off a cruise on Adventure of the Seas that had to miss Coast of Maya due to weather, and Royal substituted an overnight in Cosmel. I treated it as a preview of what to expect on the on our upcoming cruise. First, let me say that the two cruises aren't entirely apples to apple. The cruise I just left did not plan to overnight in Cosmel, so the local shops had no time to prepare. With that in mind, here are my observations. Number one. Bars located at the head of the pier were all open well into the night. My kids tell me that it was mostly crew members that went there, but they were packed. However, the Hard Rock Cafe that is just outside the port area was much less busy. My kids tell me the shops were closed. Number two, it was actually kind of nice to see the other shops sail, other ships sail away in the dark, knowing that our time was just beginning. Number three, I asked the tour operator about what we should do on our upcoming cruise where we have an overnight. And he said the nightlife on the island is not very lively and is getting less lively every year. I guess the cruise ship business has become so big that most of the local business owners don't see a lot of reason to open once the cruise ships leave. This surprised me. Number four, we were allowed to come and go all night. It was quite relaxing to have that option. One final thought on Adventure Missing Progresso, because it was too big, I found it very odd since Adventure has visited that port previously. I speculate it related to one of two things. Number one, they have been working on the Progresso Pier for years now to make it possible to accept multiple cruise ships. It's possible the construction is somehow related to the missed port, perhaps channeling more dredging. And number two, Voyager and Adventure are going to be swapping itineraries this spring. The stated reason is maritime regulations imposing new speed restrictions. Once again, since Voyager and Adventure are nearly identical, but I digress. It's possible the regulations are preventing the progressive stop for Adventure. As always, thank you for keeping us up to date. Steve, really good information here. Thank you for sharing this. The one thing I think, we, number, I'm going to go back to your number three spot about what the tour operator said. I'm not sure if the tour operator is referring to the area near the cruise port or downtown. So you have to remember in Cozumel, where you dock is very much just like all cruise ships. Are, there, there's no life around there. I mean, it's just all cruise ships. And then you have downtown Cozumel. And I, I think downtown Cozumel is a little more lively. I say that because I'm actually in a Facebook group that's dedicated just to Cozumel. It's not just about cruising. I just find interesting information in there from time to time. And there's plenty of tourists that go to Cozumel and they don't hang out near the cruise port area. So I guess I would say that, yeah, I'm sure that Senor Frogs does not, you know, stay open very late once the cruise ships leave. But maybe downtown is a different issue. Again, I, I wasn't there to hear what the tour operator had to say, but certainly... I would love to do an overnight in Cosmo. I think that would be super awesome. Next email is from Joni. I'm a new listener and going on my first roller ring cruise in June. We eat a vegan diet and was wondering if there were any changes to the main dining room vegan menu with the new changes, keeping it more or less options. I chose roller cream because they had some of the better main dining room reviews from the vegan community. A lot of complaints I've read about them not having anything in the windjammer being labeled vegetarian or vegan. Any chance they're considering adding those simple tags so we can choose without having to ask an employee. Others have just been a lack of options or no options to eat in every eatery on board. Is there hope in sight that we'll have better variety or dietary options at all facilities in the near future? Joni, thank you for the email. So there's a couple things to keep in mind. Um, so one thing, there, there's no more separate menu with the new menu. No more, sorry, there's no more separate vegan menu as part of the new menu. Um, before you had to ask for it. Now, basically a lot of the vegetarian options have been rolled into the vegan options. And it's all in the menu there. So you don't have to ask for anything special. Now, certainly I understand for vegans, you know, just because something is labeled vegan doesn't mean you necessarily want it. 
and you can maybe still ask for it. You know, what's interesting is so far, the option for like, cut like different dishes not listed on the menu seems to be very much not available. I remember on one night we were on Liberty, somebody asked for escargot on night two because it was available on night one and the answer was no. Then on night three, somebody who's vegetarian, Joni, not, not vegan, just vegetarian, asked for a vegetarian Indian curry and that was available to them. So the bottom line is a couple things. Number one, there are for the main dining room, there is already vegan options listed there. You'll see a little indicator there. For the Windjammer, you know, gluten-free they're really good about. They actually have a whole gluten-free section, which is not vegan, I get that, but I'm trying to point out that they do adhere to that. But no, I've never seen, or I can recall, you know, uh, certainly the indicators there. I would love for them to do that. I think that'd be helpful. But I think for right now, you're still gonna have to ask the employees for things and, you know, what is vegan. And when it comes to being, you know, dietary needs like that, Joni, also don't feel, or don't be afraid, I should say, to not still ask your head waiter or any restaurant or vegan options, especially restaurants are another good option for, I know it costs extra, but you know, you can certainly eat vegan in, in those restaurants as well. So thank you for the email there. Next email is from Matthew Rhodes. Matt, thank you for all the great content. Helps my family and I stay informed for our planned trips and dreaming of unplanned ones. We're selling on Mariner of the Seas in September. It says M-O-T-S, I think it's Mariner. My dad and stepmom are also joining, but we're not linked on the reservation. We booked a beach club over the water cabana at Perfect Day Echo Key as a Christmas gift. What do we need to do to ensure that they're all able to join my family? Is it as simple as giving them one of our wristbands or are there additional steps needed? Uh, actually, this is really easy. All you have to tell them is if you have a cabana at, at the at the at Perfect Day, you just tell the people, your 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 family, I should say, that when they get to the area, they'll see probably a cabana check-in area. Just say, hey, you know, we're staying with uh, so-and-so booked the cabana. We're part of the group. That's all you have to do. There's no wristbands. I think you can give them the, the short excursion team on board your ship, their names, but it's totally fine. You can just simply show up with them or they can show up later on. Be like, hey, we're here with, you know, Matt Rhodes has the cabana and, and they'll lead you right to them. Shouldn't be a problem at all. So don't feel like you need to give them like, you know, uh, all these documents in triplicate <laughs> with what you need to have over there. Kelsey from Maine has our last email of the day. Thank you for taking time to read this email. Discovered your YouTube channel, blog, and podcast after booking Harmony of the Seas for a cruise in February 2023. And the information you've provided has been incredible. My husband is brand new to cruising, and I may as well be the I and I may as well be as the last time I cruised was in 2008 on Adventure of the Seas. We're leaving our kids behind to celebrate our 10th anniversary, and we're visiting Nassau, Falmouth, and Labadee. When booking the cruise, we admittedly didn't consider the ports of call, rather what ships looked the most exciting and had dates fit our schedule. We're pretty confident about our plan for Labadee, but are really struggling to find things to do in Nassau and Falmouth. Check the cruise planner, but worry about spending money on subpar excursions. Many of the tours we've looked at seem to be just bus rides around to drive by locations without a lot of time to visit. My husband has stated he doesn't care if we even get off the ship, but I'm worried we might regret it not visiting these ports. Do you have any recommendations? for decent excursions that don't involve just a beach day. We're definitely sightseeing and more history people as our pale New England skin can't handle too many beaches days in a row. Thank you again for the wonderful podcast and YouTube channel. Kelsey, thank you for the email. So I was reading her email and I was like, oh man, I got a good recommendation for Kelsey. And then you mentioned you don't want a beach day. So uh, my favorite thing to do, especially in Nassau, is resortforaday.com. Resort for a day off, it's not through Royal Caribbean, it's a third party. But basically you can buy a day pass to one of these resorts and hang out there and enjoy their pools and beaches, which are really nice and it's a nice alternative, I think. The problem, of course, you don't want to do that. You want to be outside, so, or so, sunning yourself, I should say. So that's not there. But anyone listening to this, in Nassau especially, resort for a day. So there's a couple things you could look at. In Nassau, you don't have to do a tour uh, through Royal Caribbean 
to find some of the history and culture. Kelsey, I would look at um, a walking tour of NASA. If you just Google around, uh, I think we're going to publish an article on realcommandblog.com soon about this. But anyway, if we don't get it in time for you, just search for a NASA walking tour. What you're looking for essentially uh, is a place that visits Queen Staircase, Fort Fincastle. Uh, there's a couple other places around there, and it's really easy to walk around. Just elbow your way through the port area, and then once you escape those first couple streets that are right by the port, you know you won't be. There's not a lot of other people bugging you, and it's really easy to walk to these places. That might be good to do. Falmouth is a real challenge. I'm gonna admit, Kelsey, I have no good recommendations here, whether it's beach or not. I mean, I just I've tried a number of tours here, and they've all been pretty subpar. So I don't have a good recommendation. I have yet to hear somebody really rave about something in Falmouth that they absolutely love. If you're gonna stay in port, I do it in, I would do it in Falmouth. And then in Nassau, I would do kind of that walking tour idea. And hopefully that will suffice for what you're looking there, Kelsey. So thank you for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. If I can answer your, your emails, please feel free to email me, Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon. <laughs>